Thank you so much for the uh, Harvest welcome. Welcome to you. Good morning, Harvest family. Uh, across all the campuses, so grateful to be with you and thankful to be with you here in the Meadows campus. Uh, I don't know how many of us have ever met, uh, but uh, so this is gonna be a little awkward, but I'm one of your sons. So just wanted you to know that up front. Uh, it is good to be home, and in all seriousness, uh, I am one of the sons of this ministry. And uh, I was privileged to come and to be a part of training here and church planting from here, the 82nd church plant. And on behalf of uh, all of the sons around the world, I just want you to know that we love you. Uh, we've been praying for you. We've been asking for God's favor through this difficult season of the church's life. And we have been confident in those words we sang in King of Kings, that the spirit lit the flame and the gospel will not fail. And I want you to know that, I mean it. So from your, from your cousins, from your extended family in Phoenix, uh, where it is now getting to be the center of the sun kind of hot, uh, I want you to know we love you. And uh, it is an incredible privilege to be a part of the heritage of what God has begun and continues here at Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, we are eager to see what the next season will bring. We're eager to see God's favor continue to be poured out. And uh, for those of you who have been here a long, long time, I just want you to know how encouraging it is to me personally as a pastor to see your faithfulness from afar and to see your commitment from afar. May God's blessing uh, rest upon you in whatever capacity you serve and whatever capacity you have here. I just want you to know that you are a blessing and encouragement to the leaders and the campus pastors and the staff who are walking in faithfulness. Thank you, thank you. It is a model to us, amen? Yep, we thank them for sure. Well, we're gonna dig into God's word. That's what we're really here for. I don't have anything for you. I got no wisdom, I got nothing. Look at me, I got nothing. But God's word has everything, amen? All right, so let's pray one more time and ask the Spirit to accompany the Word, and then we're gonna dive into it together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being gathered together in your name. That is a miracle of your grace. We would not be people who gather in your name. We would not be people who rejoice in your holiness. We would not be people who are overcome with gratitude, save for your grace toward us. You have moved toward us. You have loved us while we were still sinners in sending your son for us. You have redeemed us. You brought us out of being enemies and made us your sons and daughters. We're your family. What a miracle of your grace. Rebels from our birth, rebels in our actions, you have redeemed, rescued, paid our penalty in full through the finished work of your son and made us your friends. So Jesus, we're here now to exalt you. You're the one who left heaven's glories and took humanity. You're the one who lived sinless perfection required of us. You're the one who laid down your life at that cross and rose victorious from the grave three days later so that we might have eternal life and victory over sin and death. So we are here for you. And may it be obvious that we are your people as we interact with your word. As we submit under it and 
get low to be moved by your word. We are utterly dependent upon your spirit, the helper who's here. You told us it would be to our advantage that you left so that the helper could come and we are depending upon, we are expecting him to do his ministry as he has already been doing this morning. So as he's moved amongst us through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, now spirit, move among us in the word. Illuminate our understanding, help us to get it, and then get us with it. Convict us where we need to change. Comfort us where comfort is needed. Guide us in the truth. May your word be the sword that pierces and heals. Spirit, do the best things. We pray for our friends that are here with us today who have yet to know Jesus as their savior. Spirit, open their eyes, open their ears to hear the good news is for them. Bring them to what you brought us to. Bring them to see Jesus as their savior, their hope, their rescuer. And may they receive him today. So we are desperate for you to do all those things. We're expecting for you to do them. We're praying in faith, believing you will. So we're praying this, believing it's in accordance with your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, can you say amen? amen? All right, let's open up our Bibles. Let's get to John chapter number three, and let's dig into the word. I gotta tell you, I am preaching five services every weekend, live, every weekend in Phoenix. So this is a vacation weekend. I'm preaching one time, and what that means is there's all kinds of pent-up preaching in here. You know, at home, I like have to pace out the preaching. This is a one and done, so buckle up, buttercup. It's coming at you full bore. It's gonna be exciting. You're gonna love it, or you're not gonna love it, but I don't care, because I'm gonna go for it. John chapter three, we're making our way through John's gospel back in Phoenix at Christ Church, and we're going line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and one of those paragraphs, it seems like the Spirit just stood it out to me. This is the one. This is what uh, I should bring to you, and that's what I'm gonna bring to you this morning. I wanna go to the end of John chapter three, and we're gonna call this joy-filled ministry. If you're taking some notes, Maybe you could jot that down. I hope you will take notes. First of all, it helps you know whether these things are actually what God said. So you can go back and review. And secondly, you can go back and review and be encouraged again as you think about how you live because we have learned together from God's truth, okay? So take down some notes and uh, I will meet you there in John 3 in just a moment. I wonder this, do you have a, do you have a list of examples that you follow? Like if you just think about it right now, do you have names in your mind of the people who have influenced you, like you're actually living as a pattern that is cut from their modeling. Like when you think of their lives, it has influenced your life. You're a different kind of parent. You're a different kind of spouse. You're a different kind of employee. You're a different kind of a servant team member here in the church family because of them. I got a list. I got a list. My list includes Jeff Bailey, that's my dad. Jeff Bailey as a faithful husband and father. My list has Doug Gorsline on it, you'll never meet him. But his Christian work ethic has set on my life permanently. My list has Bill Eggerdahl on it, Pastor Bill Eggerdahl, as a fervent prayer warrior. I interned with him in Charleston, West Virginia. And I heard someone pray like I had never heard prayer. My list has David Whitcomb on it. He was my pastor in college as a discipler of young men. 
And John MacArthur, who was my mentor and boss for a season of my training as a handler of God's word, and John Piper, who moved the needle for me in knowing and desiring the glory of God to sit on my heart to be a worshiper, John Piper, as a beholder of God's glory, and R.C. Sproul, I don't know if you know about him, he's in the king's presence now, but R.C. as an explainer of profound truths. I, I used to listen to R.C. teach the Bible, and I could hear the chalkboard. He used a chalkboard. Remember chalkboards? Some of you have that generation in your life. Remember the chalkboard thing? He would write on the chalkboard and he made profound truths. I mean like the deep end of the pool stuff. He put those cookies on the bottom shelf. And I have been forever impressed and desiring to live that. Robert Murray McShane, my historical hero. He was a pastor from the age of 27 to the age of 29 and then he went to heaven in Dundee, Scotland. He is on my list as a passionate disciple, pastor, evangelist. Albert Moeller, who leads today, is on my list as a convictional, strategic, institutional leader. Bob Coughlin is on my list, and I just go ahead and put Andy Rozier on the list with Bob Coughlin because they are one and the same as a doctrinal vertical worshiper, amen? You love that guy? You should love that guy. Rob Iverson's on my list as a phenomenal leader of meetings. Bill Molinari, He's probably in the room. He's on my list as a loyal leader of senior leaders. And Mark Cronwald is on my list as a patient shepherd of the flock. You got a list? That's my list. That's just what I could come up with off the top of my head. But here's the thing. When I got to John chapter three, and what I'm hoping for you in John chapter three is I got somebody new on my list. John the Baptist is now on my list. In fact, I call him JB. You can do it, I give you permission. JB is on my list. The Apostle John wrote this record about the other John, the first John really, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has made it here because he is a ministry example of joy. And I'm gonna call this joy-filled ministry and I don't wanna lose any of you in that title. Now some of you are like, ministry man, I don't do ministry. You do ministry, preacher man. I don't do ministry. I just uh, go to my job, I rolled up here, I come to church, I'm in a small group. Now, don't miss this, there are no exceptions in ministry. Christian equals ministry. Ministers of the gospel, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Amen. We are ministers, so I know that there are capital M ministers, there are pastors and elders and leaders, but we are all in the ministry of our Lord Jesus until he returns. So don't miss out on John the Baptist's example because you put yourself on some kind of lower level. You are not. You are, if in fact a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a minister for Christ in whatever capacity, in the most secret capacities, in the most behind the scenes capacities, and in the most public and the most out in front capacities, ministers of the gospel, and therefore, this example in John chapter three is essential because this is joy-filled ministry. And that's what I've been praying for God to revive and renew in you. In the next season of this church's life, for you to have an overwhelming supernatural joy in the service of Jesus Christ with one another for there to be a renewal and a revival of the joy of the salvation that we have received in Christ. And so I wanna encourage you from the example that we find here. I'm gonna read verses 22 down through verse 30, and uh, you can follow along with me silently there as I read out loud, and let's remember as uh, we read God's word. Listen, these are God's words for us. 
the Spirit superintended the Apostle John to write these words long after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And he has preserved these words all the way to today. In 2021, in Chicago land for harvest, these are the words of God. Give them your full attention. Verse 22, after this, after what? Well, after all that had happened with the story with Nicodemus that he had just told, after this, Jesus and the disciples went into the Judean countryside. They went north. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, chapter four, verse two tells us Jesus didn't baptize anybody, but his team was baptizing. That's what John means. The disciples were baptizing. Verse 23, John also was baptizing. That's John the Baptist, or JB as we know him now. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, parentheses, verse 24, because John had not yet been put in prison. So the Apostle John, writing about John the Baptist, tells us what he assumes we know from the other gospel writers. This is before John the Baptist went to prison and eventually had his head removed from his body and went to glory. Now why is he baptizing? Just quickly, quickly, before we read on. He's baptizing here to identify amongst the people of Israel those who were prepared for the arrival of the Messiah. This was a identification with repentance and preparation. We're ready for the Messiah. This is what Jesus was baptized in to account himself amongst the faithful remnant of Israel. Okay? This is not like we see baptism. That's Christian baptism. That's to identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was the preparation for the Messiah who John the Baptist was confident was here. All right, pick back up in verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, here it is, here it is. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. These are God's words. May the Spirit help us to get them and to be gotten by them now as we study. Here's a big idea that sits over top of this. Here's a sentence that'll kind of sit over top of our time in these verses of John chapter number three. Gospel humility is the key to joy-filled ministry. Loved ones, listen, as we leave here today, we need to have a move of the Spirit among us to have gospel humility that will be the basis upon which there is joy, a renewal of joy, a fresh joy, perhaps the first time you've ever had joy in the ministry of the gospel in whatever capacity has been entrusted to you. Gospel humility is the key to joy-filled ministry. So the question we're gonna ask of John the Apostle as he writes the story about John the Baptist is how do I pursue it? And there are four habits that we see in John's life. That's why he's on my list. There are four habits here that just come to the surface if we dig into the details. And if you'll stay in there and get into God's word with me, I believe these four habits will just rise up to the surface. I'll give them to you. I'll show them to you. And then we'll trust the Spirit will get us with them. So here's how we'll do it. I pursue gospel humility by exercising these four habits, okay? 
These are the four habits that John the Baptist displays for us near the pools of Salim and Anon. Number one, I pursue gospel humility by refusing competitive influences. I've gotta refuse competitive influences if I will have the gospel humility that produces the joy-filled ministry. And we're after the joy-filled ministry, but it won't come without the humility that we see in John the Baptist. Pick up in verse 25, and notice what's going on here. Now a discussion arose between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, what is that all about? Well, the baptism that John the Baptist was doing and his disciples were doing and the baptism that Jesus and his disciples were doing was intended to be a marker of purification and preparation for the Messiah's arrival. So I'm reading into this, but I think what happened here was that this guy came to the pool where John the Baptist and his disciples were baptizing people for purification and preparation for the Messiah, and they told him, you need to be baptized. You need to be a part of the remnant of Israel. You need to be the ones who are ready. You need to be in the purification. And he goes like, I don't need that. And they're like, yes, you do. And he's like, no, I don't. Yes, I do. You've got to have this. And he goes, no, 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 no. See, over there, there's another group, and I already got baptized over there yesterday. I was over there. I don't need to get the purification baptism. I already got it. And at that point, listen, the disciples of John the Baptist function the way we would assume they would function. They are not okay with that. So they immediately go to John the Baptist and they press on him an opportunity for him to engage in competitive influence. Look at what they do. Look back at your Bible. Verse number 26, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, that's back in chapter one of John's gospel, verse 29 to 34, the one who was across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Remember that? John the Baptist knew exactly who Jesus was. Look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. There it is. And when he says, look, like, I believe the disciples are actually like, look. If we understand the geography right, that's within the viewpoint. That's, uh, that's several football fields away but you can see the group of people and it seems like everybody's over there. And listen, here's what happens. The joy is depleting in the disciples of John because the ministry of John is declining. The popularity is going down and John is about to say that his joy is filled up. How could that be? Because John refuses to do this. He will not go with the competitive influence. He's not in a competition with Jesus. He's here as a servant of Christ. Get it? So this church family having joy in the ministry that God has entrusted to you has nothing to do with God, what God is doing in other local churches in your context. You celebrate with those who are celebrating and you rejoice with those who are rejoicing and you grieve with those who are grieving. John refuses to engage. I love it that they say all are going to him. All are going to him except this one guy and he won't even get baptized, John. This guy over here, he won't even get baptized. He's the only guy that came today. Like John had church and one person came. And John won't go. He won't do it. Listen, nothing undercuts a team. Nothing undercuts the unity and the joy of being on a team like someone who embraces a competitive spirit within the team. Not a competition against the actual opponent. Do we have an opponent, church? Yes, we do. We have an opponent. And it's none of the other local churches that are on our community, amen? That's not our opponent. 
We have an enemy. I was watching my nine-year-old son play basketball. He plays club basketball. And uh, I was watching him play the other day, and I don't know if you could get this just from a few minutes together, but I'm kind of a vocal parent on the sideline there, <laughs> seeking the spirit to help me to not lose my testimony in our community. So I yelled, I yelled to him in the game. I said, bud, pass the ball. And uh, you might be thinking like, well, pass to who? Pass to anyone, just pass, pass. Like throwing my son the ball is like a black hole. It goes in there, it never comes out. <laughs> the competition within the competition will kill the joy of the ministry in the gospel. So habit number one for humility among us is refusing the competitive influence that is so natural to us. Joy-filled ministry is not a given. And without refusal of competitive influence, joy will evaporate, and maybe you have seen it evaporate in your life. Perhaps you've started looking across the countryside to the other pool and thought, well, what happened to our pool? Everybody used to come to our pool, come back here, and let Jay be on the list. Let him be on the list as an example of joy-filled ministry. All right, got it? That's number one. Here's number two. Jot it down. I pursue gospel humility by number two, recognizing universal provision. Look at what John the Baptist does say. He has a worldview, he has a perspective that is powerful for us. Brothers and sisters, see verse 27. John answered, without ever addressing the whole, they're all going over there, John answered in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. How rich is that? Do you know what that shows us? That shows us that in John's life there was a habit of recognizing. Now he had to battle for this. He was just like us. He had to battle for this, but he had a pattern in his life of viewing every single moment of ministry in his life as a provision from heaven. The smallest moments and the largest moments. The biggest crowds and the one single dude who won't get baptized moments. Those are all from God. Those are all from heaven. There's not one ministry moment that's not from heaven. No matter what the role is, no matter what your influence was, no matter how the scale or scope has changed, no matter the status you have or the fame you don't have, no matter the recognition you've gotten or the reward you haven't gotten yet, every single ministry moment is a gift from heaven. And listen, if you will interact with ministry, if you will be in the hope centers and serving people that will never thank you and never know you personally or perhaps will be a part of your small group, if God so chooses to work. If you will serve in kids ministry, if you'll be a part of the hospitality of this church family, if you'll engage with your small group, if you'll re-engage with your small group with an eye on the reality that every ministry moment is a provision from God, who are we to have any ministry moments, church? Who are we? Like, friend, if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, like, we are not all the super good people who found each other to celebrate Christ today. That's not who you found. You found all the broken people who found a savior named Jesus Christ today. We haven't earned our way there. That's who we are. So like, if you're like, man, my life is a train wreck, welcome to the train wreck. We're glad you're here. We know the one who puts train wrecks back together. We know the one who makes beauty from ashes, amen? We know the one. We know the one. 
And every moment of ministry is an undeserved kindness and a favor from him. Every opportunity to lay down my life and to serve with my mouth, with my hands, to pray over somebody, to speak truth into somebody. Every moment to provide a meal for somebody, to shake a hand in fellowship and kindness to them. It's COVID, we don't shake hands. Whatever you do, whatever you do. All that, all that is a provision. And John sees his whole life that way. So everyone in the kingdom work is a temp worker, everyone. And it's all been a provision from God. We're only here for a moment, and every moment that we get in this moment of life to do ministry is a provision from him. You've gotta have that as a habit of the way you see ministry or you will lose your joy. Who am I, and how could I, and why am I getting to be a part of this? You see, John is not thinking this way at the pinnacle. These are not words that are empty because, oh yeah, John, well of course you see it as a provision from heaven because look at the massive crowds that are coming to hear you and to hear you preach and there you are in your camel's hair and chewing on bugs and everybody loves you, right? That's not what's happening. Listen, that's not what's going on. Yeah, John is almost forgotten and he will soon be totally forgotten. He'll go to a prison cell and there he'll have a wrestling match with God Is Jesus even the Messiah? What's going on? Why hasn't he done what he said he would do? Why hasn't he moved the way he said he would move? Why hasn't he taken over? Why isn't he kicking butt and taking names yet? Like, what's going on? He'll send his disciples to ask. John is saying this when things are on the decline. And John is saying his joy is full. I believe it's directly linked to his perspective and the recognition of universal provision. You got that? Not confident, you got that, yes or no? All right, let's go to number three then. Number three, I pursue gospel humility by number three, remembering true identity. Oh, joy is so connected to identity. So look back in your Bible, let's look at verse 28, next verse, let's just see what happens. John says to his disciples who are trying to get the competition going, trying to get the competitive juices flowing, He says to them, you yourselves bear me witness. You know that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. That is an identity statement from John. John actually said that back in chapter one. John the apostle recorded it. John the Baptist had already said that to religious leaders. They didn't know who was was this guy. I mean, this dude was weird. And he's out there and all these people are going to hear him. So they come and they're like, who are you? You know, are you Elijah? He's like, no. And they're like, are you the Christ? And he said, no. And he says to his disciples, you know that I am not the Christ. Now, this is a big identity moment for him. How could he say his joy is full when things are on the decline, when things are on the downturn, when things are, when things are different than they used to be? Because he's not the Christ. And he knows it. He knows two things. He knows who he isn't, and he knows exactly who he is. And that is a habit of genuine humility. Listen, humility is not a a walk around with a poor view of myself, it's a realistic view of God in myself, right? So this is a humble habit. He has two things that are really clear. He's not the Christ, and he has been sent before the Christ. Now listen, listen, JB had a special ministry, okay? We don't all get to get in on this. Yes, yes, John the Baptist, I'm putting you on my list, and I went before the Christ too. No, you didn't, no, you didn't. He's the forerunner. He is the second Elijah. He's the one who was promised to come before the Messiah to make way for the Messiah. Like he's the special category. Jesus said there was nobody better on earth born among men than John. 
But don't miss the opportunity to gain from John's, John's example here. John is aware of who he isn't, and he's aware of why he's here. And so can we. We can know the same things. Listen, church family, if you don't get it through your head that you are not the Christ, it'll kill the joy in your ministry. You're trying to save people, it's gonna be a rough road. You're trying to make supernatural power things happen, rough road. You're gonna try to change someone's life, make them give up sin and turn to repentance and follow Jesus? Good luck. We don't have it. We are not the Christ. We are the people of the Christ with the spirit of the Christ in us who works through the word of Christ to exalt the Christ, amen? So here's what's going on here. He's just obviously saying to them, I'm not the Messiah. Why do you try to get me to be competitive? Everything I get is from heaven. Every ministry moment is a provision from God. And I know who I am. I am here for the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. And you can buy in to that. We have been sent after the Messiah to be ambassadors for the Messiah. In fact, drop this down in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 labels us as ambassadors. We're here with our citizenship in heaven as ambassadors for the Christ. We are not the Christ, we have been sent after the Christ to reflect the Christ and to present the Christ to our community. You want to join the ministry? I do. And I've been battling for it. I've been fighting. It's been a bit of a joyless stretch. And God met me in John chapter three and reminded me of these patterns that have to move in my life. I am not the Christ. I have been sent after the Christ. I am here for the Christ. I am an ambassador for Jesus. So ministry in your home, listen, listen. Our marriages, you married? Your marriages will be different if you're living as not the Christ. <laughs> Some of you are trying to be the Christ. I'll just, if he would just do what I tell him to do, if she would just respond the way I want her to respond, and I'm gonna make it happen, well, that's not gonna go well, okay? But our marriages will be different if we recognize we're not the Christ and we're here for the Christ. We're servants of Christ in our home. Parents, we are not the Christ. We cannot make it happen. We are servants of the Christ, get it? Employees, we are not the Christ. We are here for the Christ. Employers, we are not the Christ. We are here for the Christ. That's the identity. That's a remembrance of your true identity. Are you remembering your true identity? You have to. You have to come back to this. You have to acknowledge this. This needs to be a habit for humility in us. It'll change the way we relate to our neighbors. It'll change the way we relate to those that we disagree with in our community. It'll change the way we function. Listen, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You know what that's gonna require? It's gonna require you recognize you're not the Christ, but you're here for the Christ. There will be joy in loving your neighbor. You say, you don't know my neighbors. <laughs> I get it. There will be joy in loving them. You say, I think my neighbors are my enemies. Bad news, Jesus also said, love your enemies. <laughs> you're not off the hook. And I know our culture says you can scream at people, but you can't, because we are not the Christ. We are here for the Christ. Ambassadors for him. All right, that's the third reality that's here. Come back again and again to your identity and remember freshly. May the Spirit remind some of you today that he's got you, he made you his, and you're an ambassador for him. Here's number four, last one, and we'll be finished. I pursue gospel humility by number four, relinquishing personal exaltation. 
I've got to relinquish it. I gotta give it up. Personal exaltation is not in the cards if joy will be in our ministry. That can't be our agenda. And John the Baptist is a model of it. Go back in verse 29. He says this powerful word picture for his disciples. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now, just do a little thinking here, do a little exegetical work in your Bible. Bible students, engage. Who is the bridegroom? Come on. Okay, all right. We're gonna do this again <laughs> on all campuses. You're gonna yell this out. This is Sunday school answer number one. Okay? You've got Jesus, then you go God, then you go Paul, then you go love. Those are your answers to every question in Sunday school. Okay, we're gonna go with one. You remember what one is? It's Jesus, it's Jesus, okay, it's Jesus. Who is the bridegroom in the story? Jesus. It's Jesus, and we're just standing. We're just there. John just says like, I'm here, and what do I do in the wedding? I mean, if you've ever been to a wedding and the, bride, the bridegroom is there, the bride is there, she's beautiful, everyone's looking at them, and you've got some silly groomsman over here like doing a dance, trying to get everybody to look at him. He's waving to people. You're like, who raised that guy? What is going on here? You just, hey man, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's what John's saying. It's not about him, and it's not about any of them. We're here as those who are standing and rejoicing to hear the bridegroom's voice. The bride is the church. It is the gathering of his people. It is the work of the Messiah from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It is this glorious new covenant reality of the people of God from all the backgrounds, from all the culture, from all the stories, from all the situations, from all the resumes, from all the rap sheets that have humbled themselves, turned away from their own way to get right with God, turned away from good works to earn their way, and the Bible word is repent. They turn and they place their confidence in Jesus, He's the son of God. He's the one who lived the perfection required of me. He's the one who died in substitution payment and paid my sins in full. He's the one who rose victorious from the grave to provide eternal life for us, and we are here for him. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. It's not about us. It has to not be about us for there to be joy in our ministry in this next season. It can't be about you. And man, do we drift back to this. So come back again and again to this awesome little illustration because right on the heels of this, he says to them, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And that is the word for filled up. That is all the way. Listen, here's John the Baptist. He ain't got nobody. He's got one dude who won't get baptized. <laughs> Jesus has everybody. At least that's the way it looks and he can't think of more joy getting into his life. He's filled up. Why? Because he will not engage, it's not a competition. There is a competition against an enemy, but there's not a competition with the Messiah or any other of the Messiah's people. And every moment of ministry is a provision from God. And he is remembering his true identity, he's not the Christ. He's here for the Christ and he has relinquished his personal exaltation. In fact, that leads up to the most famous words that John the Baptist ever spoke. These are the ones you already know. 
Maybe you didn't know it was JB who said them, but you know these verses, or these words rather, in verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. There it is. We have to relinquish personal exaltation to be living joy-filled ministry lives. The gospel is powerful. We have been redeemed. We have been transformed on the inside and are being transformed on the outside. God is at work in our lives, church family. And no matter where you are in that journey with Christ, no matter where you are, perhaps you're giving your life to Christ today. Welcome to the family. But in this family, it's all about Christ. We don't take personal exaltation and make it the thing. And when we do, it will rob us of joy. It will be the, it'll be the press against us that will squeeze out all the joy that is intended for us in ministering as gospel people. In fact, jot down two passages. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 27. Jesus says you're gonna take up your cross and follow him. If you're after preserving your thing and your name, you'll lose his thing. It's gonna be taking up your cross, losing your life, and gaining his life in your place. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, Galatians 2.20. Matthew 16, 24 and 27, and then 1 Peter chapter five. In fact, listen to this, I wanna read it to you. 1 Peter chapter five, verse five and six. Listen to these words. Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. You relinquish personal exaltation and you entrust that to divine exaltation. And what a wonder of grace that God would rescue us in our sin. He would grab us in our rebellion. We are yelling curses and running away from him and he brings us into his family and he gives us an inheritance with Christ. What a wonder of his grace that he also will reward us. He will exalt us. Relinquish personal exaltation and trust him for divine exaltation and joy will flourish again in your ministry. Personal exaltation is never the way, but it is always the temptation, right? We just wanna be noticed. We just think if somebody would pat me on the back, metaphorically because it's COVID, do not make physical contact. <laughs> if someone would pat me on the back, I think I'd have some joy in my ministry. If somebody would just recognize what's going on around here and see what I'm bringing to the table, I think I would be happy in my life again. No, no. Actually, the Spirit's leading you somewhere totally different in John chapter three. Relinquish that and trust his divine exaltation. Okay, that's it. Gospel humility is the key to joy-filled ministry. Those are the four habits. I think they're right there. I think that's what JB brings. That's why I think he should be on our list. I think these four habits need to be a part of our lives and a part of your life as a church family, okay? Now, at Christ Church, we always end our time by a little section we call learning to live, and I, I'm just gonna do it whether you like it or not, okay? I know I'm at Harvest, maybe they don't do it this way, but we learn to live. We do not learn to learn. We're not after Bible fatheads. We're after lives that are strong in Christ. So we learn from the Bible in order to live in the spirit in this coming week. So let me give you some questions to get you toward life Maybe these can be over coffee with a friend or small group. Maybe these will just be between you and the Lord. I don't know. But let me give these to you to get toward living this week. Number one, is the gospel humbling me? 
I'm talking about general humility. Some of you are marked by genuine and general humility. You have a good view of yourself. You understand who you are in light of circumstances around you. I'm asking, is the gospel humbling you? Maybe I could frame it for some of you in a different way. Has the gospel humbled you? Because listen, the good news of Jesus as a savior pops off the backdrop of the bad news that you're a sinner, and so am I. Utterly marked by sin. From the moment we came out of the womb, we had a nature of sin because we're descendants of Adam. And we functioned in that sin, and there is a growing list of sins against us. And the holiness of God, and the condemnation of God, and the wrath of God is coming for your sins. You have to be humbled by the gospel. You must understand your need for a savior in order to embrace the savior. And when you do, you will see him appropriately, and you will see yourself appropriately as a recipient of his grace. Come now, don't harden your heart. Cry out to him for salvation. I don't know the words for the salvation thing. There are no words for the salvation thing except I need a savior. I see my sin. You can just say it the way you say it. And if you cry out upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's the promise of the Bible for you. Church family, you being humbled by the gospel? I'm not probably ever coming back, so... Maybe you should buy Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. Gospel Primer, it's not very much money. If you can't afford it, John Smith will buy it for you. So, (laughs) I have that kind of authority, I think. Gospel Primer will help you to be humbled regularly by the gospel. It's not a book you read. It's a book you keep reading. It's got ways for you to remember your true identity. Go back there and be humbled by the gospel. Watch joy come back. Okay, number two, team's gonna get ready to lead us out of our worship into our worship scattered. Number two, which of these habits needs my first focus? Pick one, just pick one. Isn't it like us to go, oh man, I did not know all that was in John three. I'm just gonna be all four of these right now. Some of you are those kind of people. Yes, I will take all of that. Just pick one, pick one, (laughs) pick one. I'm trying to help you, pick one. Where's the first focus gonna be? Talk that out with your best friend. Talk that out with your spouse. Say, I think the Spirit's putting his finger on this one and I want to see joy increase. And here's number three. What suffers when my ministry lacks joy? Can you think about that? What goes away when you don't have joy in your ministry? There's an impact on others. There's an impact on you. There's an impact on your teams and on those that you serve with. Let's consider the impact. There's an impact on your testimony and your witness when you are joyless in the ministry. May the Spirit help us to live because we have learned together. Get JB on the list, because gospel humility is the key to joy-filled ministry. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Let's pray. Don't clap, let's pray. Let's do that, then you can clap. I'm fine with that, but let's pray first. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, take the words and do the best things in us. Make us look more like Jesus as your people, and make our friends your people who are not yet your people. Renew us, revive us, restore us. Calibrate our faith again. And then calibrate our joy. God, I pray for my family here at Harvest. May the testimony be here that there is so much joy in the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel.
Where is it coming from? And we will know the answer. It is you, God. It is your spirit in us. It is the finished work of your son. It is the reality that we are not in a competition with anyone except the enemy who is against us and you are victorious over him. And we have been given a provision of time and stewardship of ministry moments and we know who we are. We're not the Christ. We're here for the Christ. And we've given up on self-exaltation. May those realities be true in us. God, do it. Do it, Lord. Do it in my life. and Do it in the church family's life here. I pray for the glory of your name. We trust you with these things, and we will praise you as you do them. So we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.